The following audio is from Life Journey Church. More information about Life Journey Church is available at www.lifejourneyva.com. Well, good morning. How are you? Is it all right? Yeah? Okay, we've got to wake up a little bit. You guys good? Yeah? All right. It's good to see you uh, here this morning. Uh, it's a very cold morning, but uh, it feels all right in here, I guess. I took my coat off once I got inside, and I feel okay, I think. Right? All right? Okay. We awake? We alive? What's happening here? All right. Let's, uh, we have been, if, if this is you know, your first time with us or you haven't been here in, in a while, or and we even have the joy of having a, a fellow church represented today that's working on planting a, a new work here in Crozet as well, and it's so exciting to merge together to learn how uh, from each other what's happening. Uh, the pastor that's helping or the leading the planting of that church was with us maybe two weeks ago and, and just kind of learning what we are doing as we learned what other churches were doing when we were kind of in that, you know, what are we going to do as far as what's planning a church, all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's just cool to be a part of this, this family of God where we get to come together and, man, exalt the name of Jesus. Um, because I honestly can't think of anything else worth drawing my breath to do, right? I mean, I loved playing football when I was in college. It was a lot of fun. But, man, listen, uh, that pales in comparison to the reality of the excellencies of Jesus. He's, he's everything. And so what we've been doing is we've been walking through what the life of Christ was like. What, what was that? It, you know, it was 2,000 years ago. It was distant. It was, you know, kind of, you know, we read about it on, in pages in a Bible. And, and it's like, what was this really all about? So we've been walking through the book of Mark, which is a very fast-paced book. It was a book written by a guy named Mark uh, to Christians in Rome who were being persecuted because of their faith. I mean, these guys were facing persecution that you and I will never more than likely face. Uh, Nero, in fact, he lit uh, Jerusalem on fire. The report, he lit uh, Rome on fire and blamed it on the Christians just so that he could persecute them more. I mean, this is terrible stuff. They're fending for their lives. They're hiding in catacombs. They're being, they're being uh, wild animals are, 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 are chasing them down because they've been covered with animal skins and these wild animals are eating these Christians limb for limb. Like, this is crazy. And so Mark writes this account of Jesus' life, this very fast-paced account, right, because he doesn't know how long these Christians are going to be alive. So he, he cuts through a lot of the, 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 the extra things and he gets to the core of what Jesus is here to do. And so we're now in chapter 4 of Mark. If you want to go ahead and turn there. And we have seen Jesus coming, and he has been turning the establishment on its head. In fact, we looked at a whole series called Grace Rules. The fact that everything was built on a system of rules, a system of, of religion. And Jesus came and flipped that thing upside down and says, no, listen, it doesn't matter how many things you do, you cannot earn a spot in God's family. It's all about this new thing of grace, which was foreign to them. And then now we're in chapter 4 where we're looking at this idea, not only does grace rule, but now grace works. Like, it, it works all by itself. It's the most amazing thing that could ever be thought of. We looked two, three weeks ago, I guess four weeks ago, at how Jesus talked about the, the different types of, of soil and where to scatter, scatter the seed. And when it hits the soil, that's right, man, it produces a fruit. It, it works. The gospel, grace, it works. And then... Two weeks ago, we looked at the idea of Jesus saying, look, we have come into this place and 
the, now that we're here, this candle, this, this lamp is to be lifted high. Nothing that was at one time a secret is to be remain, remain a secret. It's now to be made manifest. It's to be made known to everyone. And so grace, this element of grace was hidden for all of the Old Testament. It was hidden behind this thing of the law. And Jesus is saying, man, we are here. The time is now for this thing to be revealed and for life to be fully lived to the utmost. And then last week we saw this this, uh, this, this seed that Richard talked about that was planted, and it started, the, the guy who planted it, he didn't know what was happening. Was it, uh, he didn't know how it was growing. He just went to bed. He woke up. He went to bed. But out of the ground, the seed that was planted began to grow. And the idea is that, man, grace, this kingdom of God, it works. We don't have to finagle it. We don't have to, uh, we don't have to you know, make it work. It works by itself. And today we're finishing this with this, illustration is parable that Jesus uses about a mustard seed. A mustard seed. And how this mustard seed was so small, but yet it grows, as you see here, into this huge tree. But before we get into that, all of these parables, Jesus is using them to describe what he calls the kingdom. The kingdom of God. And I don't know about you, but man, growing up, the kingdom of God... It was this strange and mystical concept for me. I, I, I never really understood it growing up. I never understood what, what this was all about. It, well, I don't think it was because my teachers didn't try to teach it to me when I was a kid, but I just didn't get it. I don't know if, maybe I just didn't even care. Like, what is this whole kingdom of God thing really all about? In fact, in seminary, it didn't really get much more clear. It remained vague and, and answers remained, you know, empty for me. I, I don't know if it was because my professors weren't, you know, trying to teach it or not, or if I was just blinded to it. But the reality is this idea of like the kingdom of God, like what is it's just this vague idea that it's just like, okay, like I can, I can recite the words that my professors are saying the kingdom of God is. I can give them the definitions they're asking for, but, but what really is it? What really is this thing? And to complicate matters a little bit further, there's other synonyms for the kingdom of God. Jesus also calls it the kingdom of heaven. Other writers call it the kingdom of light, right? And it's like, okay, if it's the kingdom of heaven, then that must be something that's yet future once we die because that's when heaven starts, right? That's, heaven, heaven's not right now, right? I mean, that's what I thought. That's what, it, heaven's only when, when I die. And, and so many questions flooded my mind about this thing of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. What is this? But here's what makes matters like seriously like ten, uh, tense, in Mark chapter 1, several months ago when we were starting the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, hey, listen, the time is now, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. So what Jesus is saying as a summary of his entire ministry is that Jesus is coming from the realm of God, the realm of heaven, into this realm of earth to bring this thing of the kingdom of God. All right, I don't know about you, but that, that doesn't sound like something we shouldn't be, that we should be unsure about. All right? I mean, this is the whole purpose behind Jesus coming. We should probably spend some time to wrap our minds around this thing of the kingdom of God. If the whole purpose, the whole mission of God, of Jesus, was to bring to earth the kingdom of God, he said, it is at hand. I am here to usher in, to bring in this kingdom of God. I think as believers, we ought to like say, hey, what is this? What is this thing? And they probably devote the rest of our lives to living in it. So that's what we're going to kind of talk about today. Because I'm sure that I'm not the only one 
who has wrestled with this idea, the identity of the kingdom of God. I'm sure that I'm not the only one where it's kind of like a fuzzy picture of like abstract and like distant and, and weird. What might be hurting our ability to understand the, commun- the, the kingdom of God is how we think of the word kingdom here on earth. Okay? So, as a, an earthly kingdom on earth has a king, has a queen, right, who rules over their people. Most of the time throughout history, the rule by these monarchs is not beneficial, right, to the people who are being ruled. Now, we don't have time, of course, to look at every single earthly kingdom, but probably most of us know at least enough about the United Kingdom, England, um, to, to kind of get an idea, a picture of how this monarch idea, this kingdom idea works on earth. Today, we look at sweet Queen Elizabeth, the whatever number she is, and however old she is, we look at her, she looks so sweet, and we're like, hey, what a precious, you know, Lady, what's, what's so wrong with a queen, you know, ruling over her people? It doesn't look so bad to us today, right? But the history of the English monarch is littered with deception, scandal, murder, incest, war, treason, mistreatment of peasants, ego, pride, arrogance, rage, anger, hedonism, greed, brutality, fear, hypocrisy, and narcissism, just to name a few things that characterize the kingdom of, of the, the monarch of, of England, the, the, the kings and queens of England. I mean, most every single monarch, most every single dictator operates and rules in this fashion on earth. It's the saying, remember, uh, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely, we've heard that. And that's absolutely true. So if this is our reference point, if this is the definition, if this is the lens through which we view the kingdom of God, we, we've, got, we've got some problems. Right? If, if we view the kingdom of God through this lens of where an egotist on earth rules with his iron fist over their people, if, if we see the kingdom of God as though seeing it through everything that we see here on earth, with maybe, maybe there's a, bu- a few brief exceptions where there were, really was a king like Richard the Lionheart, you know, or somebody like that. Maybe there's some brief examples of some good kings. But if we, by and large, view what kingdom life is like by seeing what's happening on her, here on earth, man, we're, we're going to be making a wrong assumption of what the kingdom of God is like. This is how kingdoms work on earth. An angry king who is never pleased is ruling over his people who are living in total fear of their king. The, these people, they hope and pray that their king is pleased with their actions, and they continuously seek mercy, seek forgiveness. They continually seek to, to find favor in the eyes of their king, and they hope that they don't tick them off too much or else they'll be toast. I mean, that, that's what real-life kingdoms are like here on earth. So here's, here's, my, here's my concern, all right? Just growing up, seeing kingdoms and, and how kingdoms work and how kings rule over people, but I fear that when we hear terms like the kingdom of God and we only know what kingdoms on earth are like, my fear is that we see in unintentionally or perhaps subliminally, I don't know, intentionally or not, we subliminally transplant our understanding of the earthly kingdoms with these power-hungry dictators and these fearing-for-their-lives peasants. We superimpose that on the biblical gospel truth of what the kingdom of God is really like. So when we think about the kingdom of God, we view it through this lens of what we know kingdoms on earth are like. Things like, well, come on, Walt. I mean, if Henry VIII 
was that lofty in his demands of his people? Just think how unattainable the demands of God are going to be for his people. And by this way of thinking, by, by viewing the kingdom of God through the lens of the earthly kingdoms, we have set up for ourselves a system of fearing the very God who is love. And we fear for our lives. We hope, man, I better not tick this God off in his kingdom or else he's going to strike me dead. He's going to remove me from his presence. He's going to send me off to some sort of labor camp to pay off all my debts. So seeing the kingdom of God through the lens of earthly kingdoms, by doing this, we become obsessed with performance-based acceptance before our king. We become obsessed with doing certain things and not doing certain things in order for the king's favor to remain on us. I hope I'm not the only one in the room that has struggled with this. Well, maybe I hope I am, and you're like, like, you guys are like, well, why would you ever see that with the kingdom of God? Hopefully I am the only one, I guess. But I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not. Jesus knew that this would be tough for us to handle. Jesus knew that as we see the corruption of the world around us and the kingdoms of the world around us, he knew it would be tough for us to see the kingdom of God for what it really is. So throughout Jesus' three and a half years on earth, he continuously launched these missiles against the darkness of our hearts to blow open our cold, dead hearts with the truth of what the kingdom of God is really like. Four of these missiles are these four parables that Jesus gives here in Mark chapter 4. I mean, it's like, you know, watching, you know, Mike Tyson or something, like throwing, Jesus is throwing these grace-filled, like, you know, these haymakers. And as he pounds away the darkness in our hearts, saying, look, don't look at that which is around you. Look at the truth of what grace does. Grace brings something that you can never bring yourself. A couple weeks ago, we saw, we started seeing how this kingdom of God is fueled by grace, how grace is what's at work in the kingdom of God. And, and sometimes we throw this word grace around like we assume everybody knows what grace really is. And grace simply is God giving you something that you could never earn, never deserve on your own. And namely, that gift that he gives you is himself. How cool is that? That God has freely given to you himself through Jesus Christ. We could never earn a place in God's family. If God was a coach, right? I played you know, basketball and football and stuff growing up. You know, if God was a coach picking teams, all right? And you, coaches usually, you know, sometimes, especially college coaches, they'll pick players for their teams or offer scholarships based on their... If God was picking teams for his team, picking players for his team, then none of us would be picked for his team based on our performance. He, he wouldn't need us because he'd be able to beat everybody, I guess. But, but no one would be picked for God's team based on our performance. That's, that's what grace does. Grace says, look, it's not about your performance, your ability, your works. It's about who I am, God. God saying, I love you and I want you. I desire to make a name for myself and I'm going to use you to do it. It's so awesome. But because God is rich in his grace, he sought to display the extent of his grace by making this way for you and me to be perfect in his eyes. This means that no matter the sin that you and I could ever commit, ever, and I mean really seriously think about every sin you've ever committed, 
No sin that you ever have committed, are committing right now, or ever will commit can ever stand between you and the Father if you are in Christ. And think about that. That sin is atrocious to God. Sin is horrifyingly wicked to God. But even that sin doesn't stand in the way because His grace has made a way for you to be with Him. In fact, because of our sin, we are all spiritually dead in our sin, right? We are hopeless, we're helpless, we're doomed. No matter how much we do that we think is good, or no matter how much we do that we think is, is helpful or, or godly, we can never erase the wickedness of our hearts. No matter how many good things we do, we can never with our goodness resurrect our dead spirits. So we sinned and we died and spiritually in that death we were dead. But this is what grace says. Ephesians chapter 2, starting around verse 4. What grace is, but God, even though we're dead, but God, being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved, and you have been raised, and you have been seated with him in the heavenly places. That's where you are if you are in Christ. You are seated with God in Christ in the heavenly places, in the kingdom of God. Now, I know that sounds crazy. You're like, well, that, that's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy, but it's beautiful. It's grace. This is what the kingdom of God is all about, the kingdom of heaven. It's God's loving, gracious, intimate relationship with you. And what blows my mind is that all of this, this, this thing of God extending his grace towards us as sinners, all of this, God is glorified through it. He is magnified he shows off the fact of how gracious he is by extending his grace to dirty, rotten scoundrels like you and me. And it's just amazing. It's awesome. So when does this kingdom of God start? When does this kingdom of heaven begin? Is it when, when we die? Because, I mean, that's when heaven starts, right? When, when we die, that's when we go into to heaven, right? Is that when it starts? Does, doesn't it start when we die? Well, the kingdom of God was drafted before the very world was even created. The element of grace in this kingdom was hidden from man during the Old Testament, as we talked about two weeks ago. And when Jesus came, he literally is saying, look, I am coming to bring this kingdom of God to man. So 2,000 years ago, the kingdom of God, this, this relationship with God through Jesus, this thing of grace, came in the person of Jesus. And the moment at which your mind is changed about who God is, and you believe in Jesus as your only way to him, to God. In that moment, listen, you entered the kingdom of God. In that moment, you entered the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And in that kingdom, there's freedom. Because God no longer sees our sin for what we see it as, as we just sang about. In that kingdom, there's freedom. And so I want us to walk away this morning with this truth. The Father's kingdom brings forever freedom. It's freedom that he has set us free. Not so that we could be put back underneath a bondage of yoke, a bondage of slavery, a bondage to the law again, but he has set us free. And in this kingdom of God, there's freedom. And so this is what Paul, uh, Mark says about this. In Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 30, Jesus is teaching, and this is what Mark records for us, 
And Jesus says in verse 30, he says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? What can we, what parable shall we use for it? Now, it kind of sounds on the surface that Jesus is scrambling for some sort of illustration to use. But I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, Jesus isn't some, you know, uh, lack of intelligent guy. You know, he he, he is, the the word has become flesh. I think what Jesus is is saying is not that he's struggling to find something to compare to. I think that what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom is, is so incredible, it's so amazing, it's so indescribable that nothing here on earth can fully describe the amazing element of the kingdom of God. So he can say the kingdom is like something, and that's what he does here, but he can't say the kingdom of God is and then point, pull something out of, of earth to say this is what it is because it's so much bigger. There's nothing on earth that could ever be used to describe the power of the kingdom of God. And so in verse 31, he just simply says, well, it's like a grain of mustard seed, which when that grain of mustard seed is sown in the ground, it, it, uh, it is the smallest of the seeds on earth. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever actually seen a mustard seed or not. I was thinking about actually bringing some in and passing around the, the whatever. I did that a couple years ago. Uh, then they all get lost, and it's like sweeping up these little tiny seeds, you know. But then they're tiny. I mean, they really are. I don't know if you've ever seen them or not, but they really are tiny. Um, but a, a, a mustard seed isn't the smallest of all seeds, but it's in the category, the Jewish category of the smallest of all seeds. They had small seeds, smaller seeds, and smallest seeds. And a mustard seed is in that category of the smallest of seeds. And he says, when this tiny little seed is thrown on the earth, verse 32 However, or yet, when it is sown, when it's thrown on the ground, it grows up and it becomes larger than all the plant, the garden plants. And it puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Man, this tiny, tiny seed turns out to be the largest plant, the largest tree in these gardens. So large, in fact, as he says, that birds can actually nest, can rest in the shades of the branches. Man, this is pretty cool. Right? Something that starts off so small but yet ends up being so big. Right? You know, a mustard seed really is not much bigger. It's about the same size as kind of a coarse grain of sand. Now, not, not like you know, super, super fine sand, but like the, um, the coarse grain sand. So a grain of mustard seed is not much bigger than a piece of, of just coarse sand. But you can plant a million coarse sands in the ground a million times and you'll never ever once yield an additional grain of sand. Why is that? It's kind of weird. How come putting a, a tiny seed of a mustard seed will yield a big plant, but you can put all these grains of, 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 of sand that are the same size, you put those in the ground and they don't produce anything. Why is that? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. The sand is dead. There's no life in the sand. But in the seed, there's life. In fact, there's so much life in this seed, this tiny, tiny seed, that a single bird could eat scores of these tiny seeds and not be filled. But when the single seed, this tiny seed is planted, scores of birds can now rest in the tree that's produced by this seed. 
Now, I think what Jesus is saying is, listen, in the kingdom of God, there's life. Life abundant. There is no more death because in the kingdom of God, there is no more sin. And that's why Jesus has come to take away the sin and so that now in the kingdom of God, we can be, as Peter calls it, translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God, and now be there in life when at one point we were dead. When everything on earth dies as a result of sin. When sin entered the world, that's when death entered the world. Sin and death go hand in hand. And so if in the kingdom of God there's life, that means in the kingdom of God there is no sin. It makes perfect sense. How could there be sin in the kingdom of God? But here's where we struggle. If we truly are in Christ right now, in, seated in him in the heavenly realm, in the kingdom of God, that means that this new creation that God has created in us is holy, is righteous, is pure. That's who we are now as a part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a kingdom of death. It's a kingdom of life. The kingdom of God is life. In the Garden of Eden, if you remember back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, God said to Adam and Eve, man, you can eat of all this, but don't eat of this one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said, when you eat that, you will surely die. Well, we know what happened. They disobeyed. They sinned. They ate it. They died spiritually that day and physically days later, years later. And this is the status of every single man who's ever lived since Adam. We are spiritually dead because of sin. We're like grains of sand going through the hourglass. What's that? The soap opera, right? Days of our life, right? But we're, like that's all we, we're just grains of sand. We're dead spiritually. But not until the reality of this thing of life comes, this new creation. This new kingdom. See, there was also another tree in the garden that I didn't really learn a lot about. This other tree in the, in the garden was this tree that represents the kingdom of God. You know what it was called? The tree of what? Life. In fact, God said, hey, we need to kick these guys out of this garden. At least they eat of the tree of life and live forever. But you know where else we pick up on reading what the, the tree of life is all about? It's at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation. We're in the end of the Bible, the, 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 the John the... the Apostle, he writes this, he says, and then the angel showed me the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. Listen, the leaves of this tree, the tree of life, were for the healing of the nations, right? All men of all time have died spiritually and the tree of life has come to bring life to the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. And they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And day will be no more. They will have no need for a lamp or for a light or even for the sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Listen, this is the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom of life. It's a kingdom of freedom. It's the kingdom of perfect intimacy with God of this creation. His anger and his wrath against your sin has been settled on the cross. And when you believe in Jesus, when you trust that Jesus is the only way for you or for anyone to have access to God, you enter into this kingdom of God. In this kingdom where you now sit, the curse is gone in the new kingdom. 
That's why no apostle in the entire New Testament teaches any believer to confess their sin for the forgiveness of their sin. Unbelievers are taught to confess their sin for forgiveness, but not believers. Our sin has already been removed. It was placed on Jesus and the curse is no more. There is no sin in the kingdom of God. And that's where you are in Christ right now, if you are a believer. God has created in you a new creation that is united to God the Father by the person of the Holy Spirit. In this new creation that is in you, it is created in the perfect holiness and righteousness of God himself. How else could you be in his kingdom if you were not created new in his righteousness and his holiness? You want to be there on your own accord? Try that. See if that works. It doesn't. That's why grace had to come so that we could be brought into this new kingdom. You are now adopted, beloved sons and daughters of God. And you are robed in the complete righteousness of God. That is who you are now in the kingdom of God if you believe in Jesus. And Jesus continued to speak in these parables as they were able to hear it. And he would never speak without using these parables to try to describe it. But then to his disciples, he explained everything. And to those of us who are his disciples, his followers, he's seeking to continue to explain to us the reality of this kingdom that he's come to usher in. And so I want us to see this morning before we leave that the Father's kingdom brings forever freedom. I mean, write that down. Put it on your dashboard. Because the devil will do his best to try to move you off that truth, just like we sang earlier. He'll try his best to move you off that truth. But there's freedom because of what Jesus has done for you. Freedom from sin in the kingdom of God. Freedom from the curse in the kingdom of God. Freedom from law in the kingdom of God. Freedom from failure. Freedom from rejection. You know, how can we struggle with being rejected in the kingdom of God when the creator God of all this universe has gladly accepted you and adopted you into his kingdom. What, what, where else should we seek for validation? We are free from performance-based acceptance. We're free. Listen, I think this is why Paul could say that for me to live is Christ. What he's saying, for me to live, if I'm going to keep on living, look, that's going to, the, the life, the love of Christ is going to keep on flowing through me because I know who I am. I know where I am. But then he also said for me to live is Christ, to, to continue living in this reality. But to die, it's gain. It's even better because I'm stripped from this flesh where sin dwells. And now I'm fully, not just in the spiritual realm, but now in this new body that I'll be given, I'm in the very presence of God. I know what you might be thinking. If you're like me, for years I thought, come on, man, Really? Really, you're going to try to sell me on this idea that, that, that we are in this kingdom of God right, right now? I mean, really? I mean, come on, Walt. That, that really sounds kind of crazy. That sounds kind of mystical. That sounds, sounds kind of like, you know, that's, that's just a strange word. Well, listen, you can call it crazy. You can call it mystical. You can call it whatever you want. You call it too good to be true, right? Call it whatever you want. But you know what call, God calls it? He calls it grace. He calls it the kingdom of God. He calls it mercy. He calls it love. You ask, but, but what about right now, Walt? Okay, life here on earth, 
all right? Because that's what I can see, all right? I, 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 I understand there's something happening there, and, and I want to learn more about what that means. But with God, you know, I'm seated in Christ. I'm in this kingdom of God. But, but what about right now? Because this is what I can see. This is what I can touch. This is what I can feel. This is what I can smell. What about life here on earth? What about this body of flesh where sin dwells? Okay, I get it. Sin doesn't dwell in the kingdom. In our new creation, we're in Christ in this new kingdom, and that's not where sin is. But what about this body of sin? What about this right here? What about my marriage that's failing? What about my teenager who's starting to dabble in drugs? What about life here and now that's falling apart all around me? What about my job that I'm not even sure if I'm going to pass my next performance review? What about this realm? Walt, what about the here and now? Listen, that's, that's, I hope we see this. The more and more we see the reality of what the kingdom of God really is and how because of Jesus we now have everything we could ever hope for in Christ. The more we see the work of Jesus as complete and as full and as total, the more we believe that the kingdom of God is not some, like some sort of earthly kingdom. God's not some sort of crazed dictator that wants to smush us when we do something wrong, but rather he is the loving father who wipes away every tear. The more we see that we aren't some sort of fear-driven peasants seeking the approval from the king, but rather as we see ourselves as the adopted sons or daughters of the creator of this universe who loves us unconditionally and has removed from us the sin and has purchased for us the righteousness of his very own son, Jesus, on the cross. As we see this kingdom for what it really is, then our minds will be renewed. Our minds will change. Our minds will be renewed to the reality of what Jesus has come to do. Last week, Richard said perfectly, he said, the renewal of the mind is the bridge between the kingdom of God and life here on earth. As we set our gaze, Paul talks about think on things, look on things above, set your mind on things above. He talks about set your focus on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, in view of God's mercy, in view of all he has done, now live in this life. As we see it, as we set our gaze, our attention, our focus on the truth of what God's grace has done for us and in us, then our minds will be renewed to the fruit of life. The fruit of the Spirit, it will flow through us. And it's awesome. We're not going to become more godly by trying to get more list of things, of godly things to do. Our flesh, our bodies, our lives are going to live more godly as we set our mind on things that are above, on the, who we are now in Christ. Man, it's awesome. This is why we say all the time, rules and law cannot produce godliness. They can't. They can produce you know, behavior modification, right? But only the regenerative power of the good news of God's grace can produce godliness. That's it. I told you guys a couple weeks ago about a book that I read called Pure Grace by a guy named Clark Witten. He has this excerpt right here where he talks about this. I'm going to take two seconds to read this. By Jesus' performance of the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. It's amazing, Clark says. Jesus could offer himself as a perfect sacrifice because he was perfect. And in doing that, we who believe have been perfected too. Sanctified means having been made perfect. That doesn't mean I cannot sin. 
But it does mean that I cannot become a sinner once again. I was a sinner. Now I'm a saint. Sin is confined now to the flesh. And sin is no longer laid on my account. He goes on to say that Jesus has perfected for all time those who have been made perfect. Please don't argue with God about this, he says. Don't allow the enemy and his agents to move you off of this glorious truth regardless of how hard it is to believe. If you will accept the reality that you are fully sanctified, wholly acceptable to God without sin attached to you, a remarkable thing will slowly begin to happen. You will begin to be transformed through the renewing of your mind into the image of God. Love begins now to govern your life. Love for God, love for others, love for yourself. You begin to become who you were created to be. That is the power of this new covenant. The power of grace. The power of this kingdom of God that's at work in you. Lastly, he says, our union with Christ and our free access to the Heavenly Father begins to produce fruit. Fruits alive. Fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. The new covenant guarantees that God's throne is a throne of grace. And as we access His presence and continue to abide there, we are transformed into the image of Him. If we continue to see Him, we will become like Him in our flesh. Human effort through law-keeping will not produce Christ-likeness. The reality of who we are in Christ will produce Christ-likeness. Listen, the Father's kingdom brings forever freedom. There is no more sin, no more condemnation. There is life. We just sang a song a couple minutes ago where that verse that Craig pointed out to us said, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there, the one who made an end to all my sin. Listen, that's, that's it. That's the, that's the gospel. That's the reality of what has happened, what has taken place. But listen, the devil does not want you to live in that freedom. The devil does not want you in God's kingdom, first of all. And he does not want you, once you're in his kingdom, to experience the freedom that's in his kingdom. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want it at all. So, saints, I pray that we see this. I pray that we see the reality of our place in the kingdom of God. I pray that we see that God has graciously done for us what we could never do for ourselves. I pray that we become a church right here in Crozet, Virginia, that is centered with this good news of God's glorious grace. And this is what it means to be a gospel-centered, grace-driven church. Oh, saints, listen, I pray that we would realize that the enemy is seeking actively to steal, kill, and destroy. And like Brandon, we were talking about earlier today, he is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But Jesus has come to give us life, abundant life. Saints, I pray that we would recognize that the devil's attempt to throw our sin in our face, to throw our, our, our transgressions in our mind, to throw us... I, I hope we can see that his attempt to do this is to try to oppress us with the truth of even our own filth, 
even the filth that we still participate in here on earth. But saints, I pray that we would see what he's trying to do. I pray that we see that when he does this, that we, that we would be wise enough to preach the gospel to ourselves. To preach it to ourselves. That we'd preach the fact that though we at one time were sinners with sin as scarlet, now we are white as snow. I hope that we would preach to ourselves the gospel that my own righteousness is like filthy rags, my own righteousness. But now I have been covered and cleansed with the righteousness of God's only begotten Son, Jesus. I pray that as the devil, and he will, seeks to destroy this, this life-bearing reality of the kingdom of God, I pray that we would realize this and preach to ourselves that though we were born spiritually dead, that we are now alive in Christ and seated with Christ in the heavenly realm, in the kingdom of God. Saints, I pray that we would realize that even when we still sin as believers, even that sin was on the cross. And even that sin does not separate us from the love of God. Saints, I pray that we would live on earth as if we were living in the kingdom of God because we already are in Christ. And isn't that cool? That we right now have the ability to live as though we are there because we are there in Christ. Saints, I pray that we would realize that even though we sin, God is greater than our sin. I pray that when we do sin, and we will, I pray that we realize that the only thing for us to do, if there is anything for us to do, is to just thank God for His grace to thank God for His mercy, to thank God for His love that has already removed it from our account. Saints, I pray that we would begin to see ourselves in our new creation as God sees us for who we really are in Him. As I said a couple weeks ago, the more grace we see, the more changed we'll be. And in this kingdom, it brings freedom. Freedom from law, freedom from sin, freedom from rejection, and acceptance by the only one who matters. And the more we live in that reality of this seed that's planted and it gives life, it gives, it gives this huge tree that birds now rest in it as we see the fact that the kingdom of God is alive, it's real, it brings life abundant. I pray that we would look to that and that alone and through that, our lives will be changed. Our band's going to come up and lead us in a fourth worship song simply entitled, Jesus Messiah. I think it's a very appropriate song for us to end in worship with because it's only because of Jesus that we have access to the Father. It is only through Him. He took on the cross every sin that you could ever, ever commit. And in him taking your sin upon himself, he paid for it, removing it from you. So what's left for you to do? If he's taking care of all your sin, what's left for you to do? Believe, right? Repent and believe. Repent means change your mind. Change your mind about the reality of what you think reality is and realize that Jesus is the only way. 
that only by him removing from you your sin could you ever access this freedom. It's only through Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, if the Spirit of God is drawing you, he's opening up your eyes to see this kingdom for what it really is, to see grace for what it really is. If God is revealing his love to you right now, would you respond? Would you look to Jesus and believe? Would you let go of whatever you're holding on to and just believe in Jesus? He's, his grace is enough. There's room, right? There's room at the cross for even your sin, no matter what you think you've done, no matter how bad it possibly could be. The grace of God is greater. If you're a believer this morning, Paul says, as we said earlier, the only reasonable response to to God's mercy, to God's grace, the only reasonable response is the continual renewal of our mind. The only reasonable response is to continue to see it for what it is, that in God we have freedom. He is not some oppressive dictator trying to crush us if we do something wrong. He has crushed his son because we did something wrong. And he has given you life. That's awesome. Richard and I will be standing up here. If you want to talk, if you have questions about this kingdom, if you have questions about believing in Jesus, if you have questions about grace or, or whatever, man, we moved here. Richard across country and me from across state, we moved here to help spread the fame of this gracious, amazing God. Maybe you'd like to get together and chat over coffee or, or email or whatever. Man, that's fine too. You don't have to come forward up here, but just reach out to us. Reach out to someone. Our desire is just simply to lift up the name of Jesus. And if Jesus said that I have come to bring this kingdom to earth, then I think it's worth, time, it's worth our attention to look at this kingdom. Look at it for what it really is. And remove the cobwebs of, 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 of uh, distraction and of confusion. And just realize that God has brought to you something you could never bring to yourself. Freedom. Life everlasting. Father, I just pray over our people, your people. God, I pray that you would teach us continuously, God, what grace is really all about. What this kingdom entails. That God, that we are right now in Christ, in this new kingdom, this kingdom of yours. One day we'll be there physically, but we won't be there more than we are already right now in Christ. We're there if we believe. So God, I pray that as you use this feeble effort to communicate the beauty of your grace, God, I pray that you would draw men and women to yourself. Not draw them to a church or a denomination or a whatever but God, draw them to yourself. Because only in you is their life. So God, we thank you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Life Journey Church. Feel free to distribute this podcast, but please do not charge for it or alter it in any way. For more information about Life Journey Church, 
visit us at www.lifejourneyva.com.